Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I felt convicted to issue out a message to all who are listening to these podcasts from home uh, that if you're not a part of Rungi First Baptist Church, that I am not your pastor and that these messages are designed to be a supplement to your daily walk with God, not a substitution for the church. I strongly encourage you to stay in fellowship with other believers through the local church, and if you're a part of Rungi FBC, then we can't wait to see you when you return. If you're ready to begin today's study, then turn to John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, because this message is entitled, Unity. Have you ever considered what it is you cannot live without? One way to ask that question is this. If you were stranded on a desert island and you can only bring one thing with you, what would it be? Uh, My favorite answer to that question is a cell phone with GPS so that people could find me. And funny answers aside, I I think this question and this concept, it can be a very helpful exercise to remind us about what's really important. What is it that you couldn't live without? And while you're thinking about that, think also about this. What is it that the church can't live without? What is so absolutely essential to church life that we would do well to take it with us everywhere we go? You know, in the 1600s, the king of Sweden, Gustav Adolf II, he was considered one of the greatest military strategists of the age. And just like any good strategist, he was always looking for ways to conquer the various nations around him. And he knew the way, the key to, to conquering the, the other nations was to rule the, ba- uh, the Baltic Sea. And, and, and so he ordered construction on, on a formidable navy, and at the helm of his navy was supposed to be the crown jewel of the sea, the Vasa. Levasa was um, one of the biggest, baddest warships ever to be created. It took about two years to construct, and it, and it took over a thousand uh, timber trees to build, uh, and its mast stood over 150 feet tall. Now, help to put that in perspective for you, that is the equivalent of a 15-story building. It carried nearly twice the number of cannons of any other warship uh, of its kind, and, and on August 10th, 1628, she was commissioned and she set sail to go out and fight in the war. However, when within 30 minutes, she sank to the bottom of the ocean. Why did she sink? Well, because she was top-heavy. She was top-heavy because her designer put nearly everything that one could think of on her. In the process of, of equipping her with nearly everything that she would need in battle... The designer overlooked the single most important thing a ship is supposed to do. A ship has to be able to float. And when you put too much stuff on the ship, she's going to sink. If she doesn't float, she isn't much use to anyone. Well, the Apostle Paul spent much of his time writing to churches and explaining this principle to them. While the church must have good doctrine, and while it must have a powerful love for Christ, and while it must have a focus that's on winning people to Christ. Without unity, it will cease to exist. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, they're one body, so also it is with Christ. For by one Spirit we are baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, And we were all made to drink one spirit. What he's saying there is that we are to be unified as Christ intends us to be. And without unity, we will cease to exist. Jesus said it this way in Mark 3.24, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. 
Today we're going to study the final words of Christ before he was taken away to be crucified. So this is the end of his public and private ministry. And we're going to go once more today into the Holy of Holies and we're going to read the actual dialogue between God the Son and God the Father in the final part of his prayer. So far he has prayed for himself. He's also prayed for his remaining 11 disciples. And in today's passage, he will pray for all those who will become disciples through the labor and obedience of the 11. Notice as we read, though, that Jesus, he makes one request for the church. Just one. Unity. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26 reads like this. I do not ask on the behalf of these alone, but for those who will also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfectly in unity so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them and even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that they will love, they, so that the love of which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Father, we come to you now, and we just pray that you begin working in us right now. That you just continue this work that you've already been doing in us, that we might be united. I know, God, there's a lot of things that other people believe that I disagree with and vice versa. And I just pray, God, that you would just show us the way to be united. That you would work this miracle in us that we can look back and say, hey, remember how divisive we were? Remember how divided we were? Well, that's not the way anymore. No, we are perfectly united. I pray, God, that this is possible, this side of heaven. And that you will show us how it's done. That you will do this in us. Love you and all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus prays for those who will be able uh, to believe in him through all the apostles' obedience, we can begin to get an image of who he's talking about that, that often is incorrect. You see, most of the time we see ourselves in his words. But this is extremely narrow-minded. We must realize that Jesus is talking about all believers through the course of history. He's praying for every single believer who cries out to him in faith. While we're included in that, we're not exclusive in his prayer. And Jesus prays that the church would be one. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, the church. We would all be united. So it's not just that we're united to each other, but that we're united to the Son and to the Father. Jesus prays that the church may be in him 
as he is in him. Now let me share with you just a personal example of how I see this taking place. Uh, I want to ask you not to let my three boys fool you. While they are at church, they are the godliest kids I've ever met. I'm just amazed. I'm like, where are you? Where have you been all week? And they throw out prayer requests saying, you know, we need to love one another. And while at church, they give each other hugs and they even hold hands. I don't put them up to this. I don't know where this is coming from. But while they're at church, they're godly. Don't let them fool you, though, because when they go home, they fight. They fight all day long. The most common phrase to hear in our household is not, wow, you guys love Jesus. It's keep your hands and feet to yourselves. My boys fight all the time over stupid things. I mean, just dumb things. I'm going, why are you fighting in here? Well, he has the red Lego. Well, aren't there identical red Legos sitting less than two feet away from you that you could play with? Yes, but I want that one. A little part of me dies inside every single time. Why do they fight? Isn't it because they're selfish and they want their own way? They're kids. Yeah, that's what it is. They're selfish. They want their way. You want to know something incredible, though? It's almost miraculous. They don't fight when I'm in the room. They just fight when they think I'm not looking. What can that show us? It can show us that when we fight and argue with each other, when we're angry at one another, when we're nasty to one another, that God isn't in the room with us. A church that is constantly fighting and arguing with each other, a church that is divisive, a church that does these things as a church that is not in God. God is not in us when we fight and argue. Because when we fight and argue, we only care about what we want. And it's trivial stuff. Maybe it's not a Lego, but in God's eyes, it's the equivalent. There's another one sitting right over there. Why don't you get that one? Well, because I want that one. That is not what God wants. That's what we want. God wants us to love one another. And so ironic that my boys say this, love one another. They get home and they just do just the opposite. I'm like, your brothers love one another, love one another. Love one another or I'll spank you. That's kind of what I follow that up with. Let's just be honest. We need unity so that the Father and the Son may be in us. Jesus prays in John 17, 21, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. That they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. In John 13, 35, Jesus told his disciples, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Last week I talked about how Jesus' prayer for unity has already been fulfilled to a degree in that we've already been united to God and to each other through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, upon salvation, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which unites us to God. And because I am united to God and you are not united to God, we are united to each other. However, Jesus also includes in today's passage, may they be one so that the world may see that I am from you. So it is by our unity that the world knows that Jesus is from the Father? If love and unity are the means by which the world can recognize Jesus as coming from the Father, shouldn't we just give up on that goal? 
I mean, we fight and argue just like anyone else, right? It's important that we understand that there is no way that we can complete this request on our own. Remember, Jesus isn't praying to us. He's praying to the Father. He's not instructing us that this is something we must do. No, this is something that is supernatural. It's outside of our natural ability, and it is fulfilled only by the Father. God has united us in the Holy Spirit. He is uniting us through conforming us into the image of Christ. And he will unite us with Christ in the church and at the second coming. We are the bride of Christ. We will be made one flesh. We will be perfectly united. And the Apostle Paul says, may you be perfectly united now. But this isn't something we have to work up. This is something that God does in us so is this completely out of our hands i mean since the father has to do it that removes all the responsibility responsibility for us to get along right i mean if god has to do it then it's god's job not ours right well this is the way i've come to understand the sovereignty of god and our role and responsibility in creation there are some things that only god can do there are some things that he refuses to do for us and so we must do them And there are some things that only we can do together with God. You know, our responsibility to stand united with each other and to love one another is the last of these three types. It's something that only we can do with God's help, that God has to work in us and through us. And when we are united and we love one another, the world recognizes, they recognize to whom we belong. Well, a few years ago, the uh, University of Ohio State did a social experiment with their college students on how they viewed people who were known to, to criticize others. They found that those who gossiped, those who talked uh, about the immoral, immor- immor- immorality, excuse me, they talked about the immorality of others, were seen as uh, immoral. The politicians who talked about the corruption of their opponents, that they were often seen as corrupted themselves. And by contrast, the people who constantly praised others, they were praised. And, and the people who, uh, who, who acted out of respect towards others, that they were often respected themselves. Art critics who praised the work of artists and, and praised them for being incredibly talented, they were often perceived as being talented themselves. You see, this association is what psychologists refer to as spontaneous trait transference. It's when a person spends time talking about what others are doing and the very same things are projected upon the one that is speaking. That people see them as associated with those people. And this works both negatively and positively. And guess what? It also works in relation to the Holy Father. And you know what's cool about this is that Jesus already knew all of this and psychology is just beginning to catch up with him 2,000 years later. People, when they, they see our love for each other, they transfer the explanation of that love and unity to Christ. It's why people say, I don't want to do anything to do with God because of the way that Christians behave. If, if God is like anything like those Christians, then I don't want anything to do with God. And it's also how, how they say, how is it that you're like this? How is it that you behave this way? How is it that you love the way that you do? How is it that you're united the way that you are? If that's the way that God is, I want everything there is to know. I want every experience there is to have with God the Father. Because of spontaneous trait transference. People, when they see our love for each other, they transfer the explanation of that love and unity to Christ. 
And there's a supernatural work going on inside of us that we would be enabled to behave the way that we do. There's no human explanation that can explain how it is that we're able to love one another, how it is that we're able to stand united in a world that is, is split with chaos and polar opposites. Our unity as a church, it speaks volumes to a world that is consumed by criticism and hatred. And when we love and stand united, we're not like the world. And that doesn't mean that the world is going to admire us either. No, Jesus said they will hate and criticize us because we're not associated with them. We're associated with him. He says, if you were like the world, the world would love you as its own because you just fit right in. Be a bunch of haters. But you're not of the world. You're of me. You need to be called to be lovers. You need to stand united. Jesus prayed that we would not only be united with him in spirit, but also be united with him in person. And of all the words spoken by Christ in this prayer, this is the part that speaks loudest to me. In Matthew 17, Jesus led Peter, James, and John up onto a high mountain. And scripture says he was transfigured before them. It says his face shone like the sun and that his garments became as white as light. Christ underwent a dramatic change in appearance, and so the disciples could behold him in all of his glory. And I have to admit that when I, I read these words, I just find myself jealous. Yes, Jesus said it's better that he went away so that we might receive the Holy Spirit. And yes, standing in God's presence is the most ex exhilarating experience of my life. And when it happens to me, I just don't want it to stop. I want to stand in his presence. I want to feel his presence wash over me. But still, I find myself jealous because not only did they get to feel his glory and presence through the Holy Spirit, they got to see him glorified. And this is not an issue of, I'll believe it when I see it. This is an issue of, I want to experience everything that there is to experience with God. I don't want others to get an experience with God that I don't get. And I remember reading the book, feeling, uh, The Shack, feeling this exact same way. It's where a guy gets to meet with God. He gets to meet with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I've discovered that through reading this book that not only was it fictional, but it has some major theological problems in it. But when I read it, I remember feeling so jealous and I remember asking God to give me a similar experience. Let me stand in your presence. I want to see you. I'd, I'd like an experience without all the heartache, of course, but I just want to see him. And according to this passage, that's exactly what he wants too. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. Christ shares the desire for us to see one another in person. He desires that we see him in his full glory. Jesus said to Thomas when he doubted his resurrection in John 20, 29, he says, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. That's you and me. And Jesus pronounces a special blessing upon us who believe without seeing. 
Yet also notice that his desire is not that it would stay that way forever, that we would be able to be with him where he is. We would see him face to face. Jesus wants us each to see him in his full glory. And because we are united with him, because we are perfectly united like the Father is to the Son and, and the Spirit is to the Father and us to the Spirit, and, and through that we're all united not only to him but to each other, we will share in his glory. Romans 8, 17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. He wants us to share in his glory. Jesus says in verses 25 and 26, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these things have known, uh, excuse me, these have known that you sent me. And I've also made your name known to them and, and will make it known so the love of which you love me may be in them and I in them. I've come to discover that this is why the world hates Christ. It's not because he wouldn't stay dead. It's not because he resurrected from the dead. It's not because he, he was capable of doing miracles and he's capable now of doing whatever he wants. It's not because he's sovereign or because he's existed before the foundation of the world. It's because he said the world has not known the Father, but I do. When Jesus said, no man may come to the Father except through me, he called out every practice in the world that claims it can get you close to God and he condemns it. Hatred towards Christ is what makes you think you can say that you're the only way to the Father. Who do you think you are? And that's a great question. Who do you think you are? Because unless Jesus was God, he was just another man claiming to know God, and then we're free to pick whatever religion we want to follow. But because Jesus is God, he alone can say, no one can come to the Father except through me, except through the Son. Now, there's an objection that people often bring up uh, with John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man may come to the Father except through me. Now, the objection goes like this. What about all the people in the, in the world, in the third world countries, who have never heard of Jesus? Will they go to hell too? And we can run in circles trying to answer their question. I can say something like, you know, if God wants him saved, he'll reveal himself to him. That's what Scripture tells us. But see, no matter what answer you give, they're never satisfied. Recently, I heard an argument by, uh, by Ben Shapiro regarding um, abortion. And I'm telling you, it's genius. He says, when Christians talk about getting rid of abortion, there's almost always an objection to those who are, uh, by those who are pro-choice. They say, what about those who become pregnant by rape or incest? You know, what about those? We can't get rid of that, so let's, let's forget about this. And Ben Shapiro says, he says, okay, let, let's say since 2%, less than 2% of abortions by, are by those who become pregnant by rape or incest, let's say we allow them to keep the ability to get an abortion and we take all the others away. Will you support abolishing abortion then? And he says the answer is always no because they don't really care about those who become pregnant through rape or incest. No, they just want an excuse to support their own selfishness and evil. The same is true for those who argue against John 14, 6 in favor of those who've never heard of Jesus. What about those people? 
See, it's not really about their concern for the ignorance of other people. It's about their rejection of Jesus as Lord. They don't care about the other people in third world countries because if they did, if they knew this was true and they did, they'd be there telling them about Christ. The Apostle John, he has labored in his gospel thus far to show that Jesus is from the Father and that he is God. And if we cannot accept that truth, we cannot know God. And again, we don't need to fight for our opinions and our belief systems. We simply need to fight for truth. And truth is found in the Word of God. Jesus says, John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, if we want to be in the same spirit as Christ and we want to stand united, it's a whole lot easier to do that when we're all making the same argument from the same basis. We need to be united in truth, to study truth, to be consumed by truth. We need to read, study, inhale, and exhale truth. And just like how gossips are seen as immoral when they talk about those who are immoral, we can be seen as united when we focus on the unity of Christ. We can be seen as those who have the truth when we talk about the truth. I'm not going to lie to you. Aaron once bought me a shirt that, that, that follows my personality to a T. It says, teamwork is when everybody does what I say. <laughs> Please understand, though, that it's easy... To see me in a message like this one is saying, you guys need to get right and believe everything that I believe because I'm right and you're wrong. In truth, however, I know that I'm wrong about things. It's scary, but I know that there are things that I believe about God that simply aren't true. I have personal opinions about God that, that, that I'm going to have to uh, have corrected by Scripture. You may be asking, well, what, what are those things you believe about God that isn't true? To which I say, I don't know. If I knew what they were, I wouldn't believe them. But knowing that there are selfish desires and selfish beliefs that I have about God and about the church and about Christ and about His Word, I know also that there are things that must be sacrificed upon the altar. And there is still a message of unity coming from my mouth. I know God is going to show me how wrong I am about things. And then if we're going to have unity, that I can't fight for what I want. But I must fight for the desires of Christ. And when we're all on the same page about why we're here and who we're here to serve, we're not here to serve ourselves. Think about this for just a second. Nobody is ever going to agree with you that we're here to serve you. And in order to be united, we have to see it's not about me. It's about him. And when we do that, something miraculous happens. We're not fighting for us. We're fighting for Christ. What can we not live without We can't exist without unity in Christ. It's by unity that we can speak the name of God to a lost and dying world. And it's by unity that they will see we are one with each other and we are one with Him.
Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.